I'm Bruce Worson, pastor of His Place Community Church. The following message came from a Sunday morning right here at His Place. The question is, are you ready to be wrong? Are you ready to be wrong? Now, I'm going to ask, yeah, you know, we, we need to speak truth in church. So I'm going to ask it again, and I just want all of you to yell, nope. Okay, you ready? Well, and so uh, the question today is, are you ready to be wrong? <laughs> See, that's a, speak the truth. Because... We hate being wrong, right? We do. We're all in this. This is all of us. We hate being wrong, and we're really bad at it. Really bad at being wrong. You ever, you ever have this happen? You're defending something that's right, okay? And then after the fight, you realize it's wrong. And you know you're going to have to admit it. Ain't that just the worst? That is just the worst. Why is that the worst? And I'll tell you why. It's because you and me, we are more concerned about being right than knowing truth. In our natural state. You know, that's just part of the pride package that comes standard with our model. That's what we're working on. You know, it's only through, through the Lord and his spirit that we change this. And I know we are changing. We're a different... To different degrees and different lives. But nonetheless, admitting we're wrong is usually our last resort. It should be our first resort. Noah talked about our, what was that? The wit's end. He said it should be the wit's beginning. Well, this should be your first resort. We should look for when we're, we should, I mean, we know we're wrong. And we know that when we're wrong, we don't know it. Until afterwards. And so we need to develop an expectation of routinely being wrong. Like, oh, I know, yeah, I know I do that. So I should watch for it and normalize it. It is, seriously, it is the secret to peace and joy and nobility. And it is the reason that the smugly religious of Jesus' day led their entire nation into total annihilation despite what all the prophets, the Old Testament prophets, and then John the Baptist, and of course the warnings of Jesus had said. It it didn't matter. And so we're reconstructing, a little recap here, we've been reconstructing the story of the famous, famously infamous presently so blessed, fully clothed, miracle-working Gadarene. He's from the land of Gad. Gad was one of the 12 tribes. Good old Gad. And he was Jesus' first apostle. We've talked about that. Didn't mention this. Not apprenticed. Not apprenticed. The more I I, I, uh, read in the Bible and see that this guy's hiding in so many places and we learn about him, the more unbelievable this becomes. He's Jesus' first apostle. He's not apprenticed, and yet he is commissioned by Christ to go and spread the good news and the power and authority miraculously uh, to share the good news of the Jewish Savior of the world to the, to the non-Jewish pagans 
across the pond, across the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And he's doing so by miraculously casting out demons in the name of this Jewish Messiah, Jesus, in his 10-city Decapolis tour. Matthew tells us that this guy's east side story is fulfilling several chapters of Isaiah. It is fulfilling Isaiah's foreseen shining light. That ri- it's a reflective light of Christ that rises across the Jordan in the, in the east and the Sea of Galilee. Uh, on the other side to bring light to all the Gentiles. This, we're told straight out this guy's that. And he's doing this. And this is what's weird, because I've been doing this a long time and never really... I I knew that the message was taken to the Gentiles after Jesus rose from the dead. I didn't realize Jesus was establishing the Gentile church while he was preaching, that he had two things going on two sides of the... This is really blowing my mind, really. This guy's doing this even as... The Lord Jesus, the light of the world, is busy sharing his own West Side story of grace and mercy and impending doom. And according to the boys, we saw this a couple Sundays ago, good old Gad was going strong way up north. When they went up north, they ran into him. They were opposed by him and then rebuked by Jesus for ignorantly, unsuccessfully attempting to curtail his mission. This guy, you know, uh, in Daniel, it says the guys that the Lord sends to share shine like the stars. Well, this is Jesus' star in the east. And he was sent to single-handedly establish us. Unless you're a Jew, then you're, I'm talking about the non-Jews. Us, the Gentile body of Christ. At the same time that Jesus is teaching and taming the wild west. And whether Gad knew it or not, Jesus went and sent in order to prepare a place to keep his Jewish believers safe during that coming much prophesied destruction and desolation that we know came. It came in 70 AD to the temple, gone, not a single stone standing. And Jerusalem, the entire city destroyed, torn down to its foundations, and every synagogue in the entire nation of Israel torn down. Try to wrap your mind around what happened. This was when every Jew in the nation was either killed or committed suicide or was enslaved and sold and scattered around the globe. They literally emptied a nation. And the believers were kept safe. The Jewish believers. And then the Lord brought everyone back across into the promised land again. And they inherited everything. And that's why we have the Christian church. It's crazy. Those who the good shepherd had led. Fled the promised land. To the land promised by Jesus. Back across the Jordan. You know, where Old Testament Jesus had led him in. Because remember Joshua, Jesus, it's the same name. Yeshua. And there you have one Yeshua leading them in. Another Yeshua leading them out. To get to the mountains of Bashan. Where, the, where we know, historically, the people of Pella. Had been prepared by Gad. And then others to receive and protect. And they did. And by the way. This guy that Jesus sends. We don't know his name. We call him Gad because he's 
named after the land of Gad. So we'll just call him Gad. I don't pronounce the name correctly because it would be far too confusing. But just so you know, his name is actually pronounced God. But if I was saying God, it just would mess us all up. But how the layers to what's going on in that Bible that we're unaware of are just incredible. That Jesus is on this side. He is the son of God and he is God. And who's he sending out on the other side? God. Wait, what? He's sending out God? (laughs) He's a God light. Yeah. I mean, that's just so funny. And, And it's appropriate because Jesus had said to the smugly religious who were more concerned about being right than being saved. Is it not written in your law? I said you are God's. Because, you know, we're, it's funny. We have no problem saying we're God's children. But then when you really start extrapolating what that means, usually someone has a child in their image. And the scripture says, so Jesus says, is it say, I said you are God's. If he called them God's, who do he call God's? Here it is. To whom the word of God came. And Jesus went to that guy who happens to be named God and then sent him out. It's just funny. And look at this. And scripture cannot be broken. Boy, there's a rule straight out of Jesus' mouth. What he's saying is you can't pick and choose. Scripture cannot be broken. Of course, then he writes the gospels and they're all split up. And he goes, now, huh, they're all broken up. Look at that. But it can't be broken. So what do you do? Hmm. Anyway, I'll finish his statement here. Scripture can't be broken. Is, why do you say you are blaspheming because I said I'm the son of God? You see, the Bible's defining feature is it's God-breathed perfection. And yet, ironically, I've told you in the past, there are over 200 published, self-confessed, self-contradicting, contradictory gospel harmonies. Every last one of them uh, begins by saying, well, you can't, it can't be done, but here's how we think it you know, best goes together for our agenda. And uh, so they've woven Jesus' stories into various agenda-driven concoctions that have served to strengthen the claims against his credibility because you just can't violate his one big rule. Scripture cannot be broken. And it don't need fixing. We do. We're the ones broken. And so as Noah's pointing out, I've been, I've been weaving that word. It's, it's not like I'm writing a book. I'm trying to solve a puzzle. I was trying to put the scriptures together. I've been weaving the word for nine years now. And many of you keep asking, when will it be finished? When will it be published? And the answer is very simple. Uh, when it's perfect. And you laugh because you think that's unobtainable. And I've realized it's not. I have a checklist. And when it's done, it will be perfect. Meaning, complete. Meaning, I won't be scratching my head going, I don't quite get this. Let's just fill in with some thoughts of my own. See, I'm not about to settle for just being guesswork number 201. So I'm either going to to finish this thing or I'm going to die trying. And I don't know which one it is. And that's, all, and that's all I can say. I know it's about 90% finished, but boy, the last few pieces, there's some pretty tough ones. And one of the biggest and hardest was the Gadarene. And this baby has just fallen into our laps. Thank you, Jesus. And so that's why you're getting so much teaching from it. 
this, it's getting there. It's getting there. And I can't wait. There's just a little sample. Uh, I can see. You have the entire, all the, the gospels put together. See, when you do it right, when you finally find how it goes, you don't have to add or subtract any words. It just tells its one story. But man, it's harder done than said. But I can see how it's going to serve as forensic proof of the inspiration and infallibility of all scripture. And before you say, well, that is great, that's wonderful, but I don't need proof. I already know it's perfect. Before you even think that, too late, we should take a look at what Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, where he says, we thank God continually because you receive the word of God, which you heard from us. Uh, when you did, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as it actually is, the word of God. And those Thessalonians must have been very pleased with that statement. That must have made them feel very good until they read this. <laughs> now, the Bereans <laughs> were of more noble character than the Thessalonians. For they received the message with great eagerness. And examine the scriptures like every day to see if what Paul said was true. See the difference? The Thessalonians, as wonderful as they were, based their hope on Paul's word, which just isn't as noble. Whereas, oh my goodness, the Bereans, they were excited to, and they substantiated their hope on God's word. And that, substantiating your hope on God's word, that's called faith. That's the definition of faith, substantiating your hope on God's word. Hebrews says, now faith, here it is, faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. For by it, the substance of evidence, or the evidence of substance, the elders obtained a good testimony you see, Thessalonians seem to settle for secondhand hope. Whereas those Bereans, though, they seek the substance. Because a good testimony requires seeing for yourself. So how noble is your character? Or should I ask, what's, what's your hope based on? Tradition, presumption, emotion, anxiety, <laughs> Or pure, unadulterated truth. The Bereans examined the scriptures to see if Paul was right. But, just as maybe more importantly, to see where they were wrong. Every day examining, every day ready to be wrong. So often we believers... Turn to scripture to support or defend our beliefs. So seldom, especially on a daily basis, do we go to it to realign and recalibrate and correct our views, our way of thinking. God, show me, show me what I need to change. It's a milk versus meat thing. Milk versus solid food. It's a reference from Hebrews where it says, for everyone... Everyone who partakes only of milk, and you go, well, what does that mean? He just tells you right here. Only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. 
even though literally all scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, and correcting. There's that word, correcting, and oh, look at this, training in right, training, training in right, that's what that Bible's for, training in righteousness and correcting. In fact, blessed is the man whom God corrects. You want to be blessed? How are you defining blessing? For these commands are a lamp. This teaching is a light. And the corrections of discipline are the way to life. To put it bluntly, he who hates correction is stupid. That's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Because I can't, I, I can't say stupid from the front, but it can. And why is he so stupid? Well, for he, he's a babe. We're going back to Hebrews now. Jump back to Hebrews. He's a babe. But solid food belongs to those who by reason of use have their senses uh, exercised to discern both good and evil. Now, we need to have a chat with Isaiah. We're going to have a chat with Isaiah because he asks, whom shall he teach? And then he answers them that are weaned from the milk. <laughs> that's, where, that's where we get out of the New Testament. Them that are weaned from the milk. And apparently them that are weaving the word. For precept, that just means thought, thought on thought. For precept must be upon precept. Precept upon precept. Funny how there's four thoughts and four gospels. Line upon line, line upon line. That's funny how that works. Here a little, there a little. Well, I think we need to put that into uh, practice right now, that here a little, there a little. Watch the scripture references jump around because I'm just going to ask Isaiah, why? Why? Well, the whole vision has become to you like the words of a book that is sealed. Why? Well, the Lord instructed me that I should bind up the testimony and seal the law among my disciples. Why? Well, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up, and I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And then I said, Well, send me. And uh, he said, Go, make the heart of this people dull and shut their eyes. Why? Well, we are for signs and wonders in Israel from the Lord. Yeah, but why? Well, these are rebellious people. Children who will not hear the law of the Lord. Who say to the seers, do not see. And to the prophets, do not prophesy to us right things. You know, like read your Bible. But, you know, smooth things. Speak to us smooth things like milkshakes and smoothies. And so, because of that, even after Jesus had done all these miraculous signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. And this was to fulfill the word of Isaiah, the prophet. He said, Lord, who has believed our sealed message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Well, Jesus said the Father revealed it to babes, them that needs milk. But for this reason, they could not believe. Because, well, Jesus said, anyone who does not receive the kingdom like a little child, that's one being weaned, won't enter it. Not can't, won't. 
As Isaiah says elsewhere, he has blinded their eyes and deadened their hearts. But as many as received him, John writes, to as many as received him, he gave the right to become children of God, ready for solid food. You know why? Oh, it's a great punchline. Well, Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus. He saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. Wait, what? He did? Wait, all that stuff back there, that's in the Isaiah thing? That's about Jesus? Yeah? It's pretty incredible. So you want to glorify Jesus, find some glory for yourself. Go find some glory. Just It might take two minutes. It might take six months. Just read and put it in there and say, Lord, show me some. And then something comes together and you go, oh my goodness, look at that. And, you, and you'll be excited to share it because it came from inside here. The Lord opened something to you. You don't have to be a scholar to do that. It's like when you go to a good restaurant or a good movie or you find a good doctor. You just want to tell someone about it. I found this. Now, a less than noble might say, but I don't need to examine it. I've already accepted it. I'm sorry, but you literally can't if you haven't examined it for yourself. You've only accepted secondhand faith. Every one of us has to understand what we believe. I mean, very basic, right? Secondhand faith is fine for new reborns, but rock solid faith is based on substance, not intuition, not tradition, not presumption, and certainly not a face saving defensive apathy. Now, a Thessalonian might say, but I don't have a problem with the Bible. And it was maybe absolutely true, but it's certainly not the point because the Bible has a problem with you and me. It has been designed the way it has, here a little, there a little. It has been designed to bring you and me to a point of decision on whether it should judge my brokenness or if I should judge its. Because it turns out I'm the one that's in my own way. And that's an obstacle I can't move or even see without seeking his help for myself in his word. You know why scripture cannot be broken? Because every word of God is flawless. And only someone willing to approach it that way has any hope of ever stitching the thing together, I now firmly believe. Every word of God is flawless. And it's all so wonderful for correction if you hear a little, there a little in your heart. Our Father says to keep my words within your heart. This is, now this is God talking to us. Keep my words within your heart for they are life to those who find them. You'll find them. I got a whole book of them right here. Nah, you put them in and watch what I do with them. Jesus told us the only folks who'll find them are those who'll seek them. I mean, this isn't rocket science. Uh, Jesus used the Old Testament prophets to warn his followers exactly 
exactly when to flee to escape from death. And this is kind of humorous. If you look at the three gospels, how they each record different things he said. This is a fun one to stitch together. Uh, Because in Mark, he records Jesus saying, here's how you'll know. When you see the abomination that causes desolation standing where it does not belong, and hey, let the reader understand, then flee to the mountains. I see the who and the what? Hey, Matthew, Matthew, the reader of what? Well... When you see the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel, then flee to the mountains. Oh, man, I have to read the whole book of Daniel. It's like it's 12 chapters, kid. But Luke, can you give us another hint? Oh, for heaven's sakes. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, which they were, then flee to the mountains. Which they did. For these. April to September of 70 AD. Do you know how seldom it is. We have a date for something prophetic. April to September 70 AD. These are the days of vengeance. That Isaiah and oh so many others wrote about in the Old Testament. And are quoted about all throughout the new. They keep dropping them everywhere. Oh my goodness. And, and here's the rest of that statement that I've, I haven't finished for you in the weeks prior to this. Jesus concludes this saying that all things which are written may be fulfilled. And that's one of the treasures I'm tracking by packing his word into my heart so I can get my ignorance and my assumptions out of his way. I, I just want to know. I, I got to know which Scriptures specifically he's referring to. Because we can't finish weaving his work line upon line without him. Because we have to know what he was thinking. What he's referring to. What he's doing. So my inquiring mind wants to know why he privately said all of this to four guys. Peter, James, John, and Andrew. And why he went on to say, oh, they will fall. By the edge of the sword. And 1.1 million did. And be led away captive. Into all nations. Which 97,000 were. And Jerusalem will be trampled. By Gentiles. Which it was. And when these things begin to happen. Which they did just months. Before 70 AD. Your redemption draws near. But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with cares of this life, rather than lightened by hope in his life. And that day come come upon you unexpectedly. So watch and pray that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things. I want to know, why is he saying that? Why did Peter later say, the time is near, folks. The time is near when all things will end. Why did James... Why did James say, behold, the judge is standing at the door. Why John say, it is the last hour. We know that it is the last hour. Why did Paul say, the Lord is at hand. And what I mean, brothers, is that the time is short. 
And why, shortly before 70 AD, did the writer of Hebrews say to encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching? I'm just so tired of reading how these guys were either confused, they they thought Jesus was going to come back in their day, or or they didn't mean what they said. They they don't mean what what it sounds like. Oh, I'm so sorry, but you don't get to say God's word got it wrong. You just don't get to do that. You only get to say, I don't get it yet. Because I'll tell you, I'm on the hunt to know. I'm on the hunt to know if this is why. And I think it is that legion of Gad's demons asked Jesus specifically if he had come to torment them before the time. And I see no reason we can't know all of it because Jesus himself said, well, there's nothing hidden that will not be disclosed, which means there's things hidden, by the way. There's nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. Therefore, now here's what he's talking about. Therefore, consider carefully how you Listen, because whoever has truth will be given more truth. Whoever does not have truth, even what he thinks he has will be taken from him because it ain't truth. So I want to know. I got to know because I keep finding again and again that so much of what's been labeled and handed to us as error in the Bible or archaic or contradiction is in fact simply reckless listening. So you need to guard what was committed to your trust. Avoiding the contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge by those who, let's face it, strayed concerning the faith. Christianity is filled with people who believe what they believe because they believe it. But not us, not this church, right? Hey, you know what? I'll ask you, I'm going to ask that again and just say, nope, but we'll mean it in the good way, okay? (laughs) But not us, right? (laughs) Is that in the good way? (laughs) I don't know if that works that way. Because we are going for something more noble. And maybe you're thinking right now, I know some of you are, oh my goodness, I don't know God's word at all. This is is really intimidating. Relax, take heart, take breath. Remember those Bereans, they weren't more noble for knowing anything. In fact, they were more noble for just being wrong. The Bereans weren't more noble for for knowing, but for seeking and refusing to settle. And for every day being ready and willing to be wrong. Let's pray. Father God, we love you and worship you and consider carefully how we hear you. So Holy Spirit, help us to get out of our own way and to get off the bottle and onto solid food. Lord Jesus, 
We just ask you to realign us, recalibrate us, and correct our views to be more like you. And everybody said, amen. Well, thanks for listening in. Why don't you join us on a Sunday morning? If you'd like more information about the church, just point your browser to hisplacechurch.com. Until next time, may the Lord bless you, keep you, and make his face shine upon you.